Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. Well, the Women's March, one of the speakers, Sophia, Sophia Arman, said that we, pro-life people, by pushing, overturning Roe versus Wade and pro-life laws, are, quote, forcing women to have children. In other words, it's the same argument that people make that we force birth and force motherhood upon women. Well, let's just rewind for a moment. There's always the potential for a baby when you get, engage in intimacy, Whether you're on birth control or whether you intend to use so-called emergency birth control, that is an abortion, the killing of a baby, you made a choice the moment you consented to sex, even if on birth control. The possibility of a child is always present regardless of birth control or abortion access. So the pro-life movement isn't forcing birth and certainly isn't forcing motherhood and is not forcing anyone to have a child. You made that choice, and that's the reality. What you're doing by insisting on abortion is you're forcing death on a child. If anyone's forcing anything, it's the pro-abortion movement. And in fact, most women who choose abortion don't think or feel that they have a choice because they've been pressured by the greater abortion movement, the greater abortion ideology, a boyfriend or a family member, or what they believed were circumstances that made them only capable of having abortion because abortion was legal. When abortion is illegal, people think a little bit more about keeping their legs closed. Hence, sorry to be blunt, the sex strike that we are hearing all about feminists saying they're going to engage in. This is a win because we have more self-control. The reality is the history of the nation was very, very clear. Through Griswold versus Connecticut, that is the decriminalization of birth control contraception, we saw fast on the heels of the decriminalization of birth control, well, suddenly people could take babies out of sex, which meant... Well, we could then take sex outside of marriage. And next thing you know, you saw the nation starting with California and then sweeping the nation, moving toward no-fault divorce. Because if you can take babies out of sex, you can then take sex outside of marriage because you don't have to have that protection of a husband and wife raising a child together in commitment. You have the freedom to sleep around. You have the freedom for extramarital relationships. But uh uh-oh, birth control isn't always completely successful. We need a fail-safe of a fail safe of abortion. And this is why abortion came hot and heavy on the heels of first, decriminalizing contraception, second, no-fault divorce, and then third, making it so that abortion is accessible. And just to add a little bit of clarity here, there's a reason why the pro-abortion movement is now the pro-LGBTQ movement, because they want to obliterate when you say there's no differences between male and female, when you say that women don't have to have children and don't always have children, well, suddenly we confuse how we relate to one another. 
on a very simple chemical, biological, physiological level, and suddenly we say there are no differences between men and women. In fact, I'm going to talk about this on Thursday, about how what we've done to our bodies by chemically altering them has completely changed how we physiologically and chemically interact and relate to one another. This is riveting science and studies you've probably never heard of that you need to hear and share the news on. I'll be discussing that Thursday here on Trending. Okay, another one of the arguments from the Women's March this weekend. Sophia Armin, one of the speakers, said that by decreasing access, quote, we have, this is terrible when we have the highest student loan debt. Okay, I think that there is some legitimacy to the student loan debt argument, not that that is a reason for having an abortion, but I do want to talk about that for just a moment in a minute. And it's going to be a topic that I think we should discuss more often this summer in light of an impending job crisis. I know some states have more jobs accessible, some have none. We're looking at a future of having a massive um, decrease in access to jobs in the coming months and year or so, and we need to be talking practically about student loan debt and jobs, so we will be talking about that. But let's take this argument that Sophia Armin at the Women's March in D.C. made, that by decreasing abortion, this is a horrible thing when we have the high student loan debt. This is an argument in favor of abortion based on quality of life. It's a quality of life argument based on circumstances. This idea that I should be able to kill my baby because because of changeable circumstances, because the baby will be born into poverty, because the baby um, might have a special need, because I'm not married. All of these are quality of life arguments as to why we justify killing a baby for circumstances that are literally changeable. Okay, you could get married. Okay, well, you could come out of poverty. Okay, you a child might have a diagnosis in utero as we know those genetic tests are have an 85 percent wrong rate in terms of when they positively say 85 percent of those tests that say there's some genetic disorder or problem 85 percent of them are wrong that's almost nine out of ten of them are wrong when they say there's something wrong with your child and so all of these are changeable or maybe not real circumstances Well, the same is with student loan debt. Student loan debt, trust me, I'm there. I have it. It's a huge burden. For some people, for many people, their student loan debt is the equivalent of what a house payment would be each month. But that doesn't mean that because you have student loan debt, because that is leading you to have to work multiple jobs or live and lead a more modest lifestyle, that doesn't mean it's a reason to be able to kill someone else. And so that argument that how could they decrease abortion access when we have the highest student loan debt, I understand student loan debt is difficult, but that's not a reason to be able to kill another person. It's a terrible argument. But let's speak for just a moment to the problem of student loan debt because this is a pro-life issue. This is a family issue. This is a marriage issue. This is a vocations issue. Student loan debt is actually getting in the way of many people getting married, starting a family, or entering into a vocation, a religious vocation. The reality is is that most young people do not fully grasp the magnitude of what they were committing to with student loan debt at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. I would even argue that most people don't really understand the significance of the debt they're entering into, into 
years later as they're really having to manage and pay for and work through the burdens of loans and what that really looks like and the fullness of all of the bills that you commit to. You know, when you're 18, 19 years old and you have next to no expenses, student don't loan that doesn't sound like that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things but it's become a real problem where people are delaying marriage are delaying having children and are delaying their vocation i can say even in my own life my husband and i you know wish that we got married sooner but in part one of the reasons why we didn't get married sooner does in part have to do with the part student loan debt had in our journey Uh, Another thing I think that's important with this in mind, because this is a pro-life issue, people are saying they need abortion because of their student loan debt or because they say, wow, I took out all the student loan debt. I'm finally graduating. How can I stop now to have a baby when I'm just getting into the career that I spent all this money on that I'm going to be indebted for for years to come? We have to speak to the reality of the problem of student loan debt before it's a problem helping people not to enter into it, choosing vocational schools, choosing realistic and practical degrees. My mom and I were just talking about that the other day. There's a difference between letting your passion be a hobby and it being what you do for work and actually being able to get paid for it and make a living and support a family. Those are really important distinctions we have to make in our culture. And there are a lot of people today who are regretting their choice of career and choice of education and they're paying a price for it in student loan debt as well. So is that a reason to kill a baby? No, but is there legitimacy to why this is a problem for us as pro-life people to help contribute to a pro-life society? Yes, parents, have these conversations with your kids. Really, way to discourage student loan debt. Help kids to choose practical degrees. Encourage young people into vocational schools. I know so many people that never should have gone to college and would be thriving far better had they just stuck with a vocational school before college because many people are still going to vocational schools and it's after the big degrees and after the master's programs as well. Another one of the arguments from the Women's March this weekend in D.C. from one of the speakers, Sophia Armin, is that, well, who will take care of those children? That is, who will take care of the children that are born or forced to be born because of the lack of access to abortion because Roe has been overturned? Well, okay, let's talk about this for a moment. I love this argument. Who will take care of those children? Number one, pregnancy resource centers are there helping women so that they can be equipped to care for their children. Pregnancy resource centers are there helping women if they so choose to go through with placing their child for an adoption. More on adoption in a moment. There are also maternity homes across the nation. Maternity homes, have you heard of these? Where a woman who is pregnant can actually move in and live there. People will help her through her pregnancy, help her with caring for her baby. And when she's ready, when she's been given and helped and mentored with resources, she can move out on her own and support her child. And these places offer their services for free. In fact, I spent some time living in one because my parents closed up their house at one point to run a maternity home that they helped open when there were no, I guess you could call them house parents to run the maternity home and guide these women. So I lived in a maternity home for a while as a little kid. I've also been a part of seeing maternity homes open in San Diego. There's one in San Diego called Agnus Day, uh, Lamb of God Maternity Home, and it's specifically for women who are choosing to place their children for adoption so that they can be with other like-minded women because that's a really difficult choice and you need other people who understand the difficulty of that choice. Who else will help women take care of their children? Generous people. 
In fact, I want to share with you a few stories. I know a pro-life family who adopted and raised their niece's two twin girls with special needs when, one, she was pregnant outside of wedlock, wasn't going to keep the babies, chose to raise this family, volunteered to raise the babies, adopt the babies, and raise them. And they're two thriving young women today. I also have a friend who adopted a baby after a woman walked, was walking into the abortion clinic and my friend was there sidewalk counseling. She helped intervene and talked her out of the abortion, but the woman said, I will only keep this baby if you will adopt my baby. So guess what? My friend has a baby that she adopted and is probably about five to seven years old today. She's raising her. She's her own child. And it is a beautiful, beautiful story. I also have another friend who was adopted about 30 years ago when her mother flew to the United States from India for a late-term abortion. In India, there's preferential treatment to have boys over girls. And much to her dismay and her family's dismay, she was having another girl. And so secretly, she was coming to the States. I don't know why she had exactly she had to come to the United States, but she was coming to the United States for a late-term abortion in California because California has always done late-term abortions. Well, a couple that I know was out in front of the abortion clinic that day and helped intervene and were able to help talk to her about how the woman shared she didn't want an abortion, but she felt like she couldn't go back to India, that she'd be ostracized for having another girl. And so the couple helped her to stay there in the States for a couple more months to then place her child for an, for an adoption. That young woman's a pro-life advocate today. And this is the truth. When people make this argument, like the women did at the Women's March, who will take care of these children? The answer is the generous people across this nation who are more than willing. Also, let's talk about it from the perspective of for just a moment of adoption. According to research from America Adoption, adoption waiting lists are massive, if you didn't know this. There are 2 million adoptive families at any given time at least waiting to adopt a baby in the United States. For every one newborn baby that's placed for adoption, there are 36 couples waiting still. Most couples wait years for children. The journey is long. And so that's the truth of the matter, the generosity, the loving desire for to be parents. Those are the people who are waiting in droves to care for these children. They will be wanted. They will be loved. If a woman cannot parent her own child, a child can be placed in the loving arms of others and others are willing to help a woman to be those loving arms, even if she feels like she isn't quite capable yet. Another argument made during the Women's March is they claimed that by making abortion illegal or overturning Roe, they're, quote, the pro-lifers are, quote, leaving us a death sentence. In other words, what they're saying is my life is over if I don't have access to abortion. This is the lie that women have been told for years. And the younger generation in particular believes this today. That without access to birth control and abortion, they are not functioning members of society. This is really the only argument that was made before the Supreme Court during oral arguments regarding the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Court case that overturned Roe v. Wade. Women are being lied to, but women are believing this, that their life is over without access to abortion. In fact, I've been talking to many young women who have shared with me that they're shocked by their 
friends who have come out and acquaintances on social media when the decision of Roe v. Wade came out to overturn it, that these women were making out of nowhere, people who've never talked about abortion before, making these arguments about how their lives were over without access to abortion. It was the worst thing. I think it's because although many people have never had an opinion on abortion, many people are suddenly exerting an opinion because they have been told the lie that is now compromising their future, thinking that they cannot have a future without abortion. And that's a lie. You don't need abortion to have a future, an education, a career, or to plan your family. Abortion kills a baby and harms the mom. It's permanent. It's long-term for the mom, that pain. And so I think that these arguments that are being brought up at the Women's March are legitimate arguments we do need to engage, even if they can be dismissed with good engagement. One of the last speeches at the Women's March in Washington, D.C., yes, I sat through the full hour of listening to them, was from Shauna Thomas. And she said, abortion gave me my life. Now, the audio broke out a little bit, but she said, abortion gave me my life. And then she said something along the lines of, it gave my children their life. So she's making this argument that I wouldn't have my life and my children wouldn't have the life they have today if it weren't for abortion. She wasn't making it based on a medical necessity. She was saying abortion is what allowed me to be the person, to have the circumstances and the means I do today. And what she's saying is the children I have now, they wouldn't have the life they have today had I not had that abortion those years ago. You see, these arguments are what some women believe, and they're being convinced by the greater pro-abortion movement. Why? Only because the pro-abortion movement is very loudly being promoted by the mainstream media. And so you and I have the responsibility to set the record straight with regard to abortion.